Gracious Lord, how can anyone believe in you if they have not heard of you and your life-saving grace? How can they hear of you unless you send someone to them to tell them? Yet when you do send someone to share your life-saving message, we often can be unappreciative and critical of the gifts that you yourself have given to the very messengers you have sent to us. Therefore, we ask you to send your Holy Spirit to work through today's message that we may have a better understanding of the messengers you send to us, what we should expect of them, and how you equip them, and how we can appreciate rather than bellyache about them. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Our text for our sermon is recorded in the first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. This is the way a person should think of us, as servants of Christ and stewards of God's mysteries. In this connection, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be faithful. But it is a trivial matter to me if I am evaluated by you or by a day in human court. Why, I do not even evaluate myself. I do not, in fact, know of anything against myself, but I'm not justified by this. Rather, the one who evaluates me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing ahead of time until the Lord comes. He will bring to light whatever is hidden in darkness and also reveal the intentions of hearts. Then there will be praise for each person from God. Brothers, I turned these things into a lesson using myself and Apollos as examples. I did this for your benefit so that you may learn from us not to go beyond what is written. Then you will not be arrogant, favoring one person over the other. For who makes you so special? And what do you have that you did not receive? But if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? This is the word of our Lord. And the assigned gospel lesson for this Sunday, for Pentecost 4, we're told in Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 through 38 about Jesus. When he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion for them because they were troubled and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out workers into his harvest. Quite a lot there is said, but ultimately, many people do things within our congregations and stuff, but what God is focusing on is people who actually share the word of the Lord so that the Holy Spirit blesses that, plants it in their hearts. He's really the planter, if you will, and, and ultimately they come to faith and receive eternal life. And so today in our, our sermon theme is how are we to view the workers in God's harvest? Now, as we ask that question, we have to understand the background to what the Apostle Paul is addressing to the Corinthians. And really very early on in this epistle, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, he says, What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized into the name of Paul? Cephas is the Aramaic name for the apostle you and I know as Peter. He hadn't been to Corinth, but it seems some people who had known him, who had been brought to faith through uh, his proclamation of the message, had come to Corinth. And so there's various people arguing over, over which person converted them, or whose teachings they follow, and, and Paul says, no, there's not a division and this whole section that we're going to deal with actually begins back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where we're told in verses 1 through 4, Brothers, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as people who were led by the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, because you were not yet ready. 
Why, even now you are still not ready because you are still people who are following the flesh. Indeed, insofar as jealousy, strife, and factions have a place among you, are you not people who are following the flesh? Are you not behaving in a merely human way? When one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not being merely human? And so we see people are, are jealous of various gifts. Apollos was a very gifted evangelist. Luke was a very gifted apostle, bringing the world to throughout the Roman, bringing the word throughout the Roman Empire. And lots of times when people preach on this text, they limit it to the office of the pastoral ministry. If you think the apostle Paul uh, went out and, and made home calls to the sick on a regular basis, printed bulletins, planned out hymns for worship, and, and uh, preached every week, you're wrong. If you think Apollos did those things, you're wrong. What we call the office of the pastoral ministry, unless you are completely naive, you can see was really invented when Luther writes his address to the Christian nobility and it encompassed several things that were filled by various people, various offices, shall we say. What they all have in common is the teaching of the word. So we don't wanna limit this just to the pastoral ministry. In fact, there are other people who serve in official capacities in our congregations, like Sunday school teachers. Different Sunday school teachers would have different gifts. Elders, our evangelism committee. And you know what? When God calls you to share his word with your family or opens the door with his neighbor, you are also a worker in that harvest. So again, we ask that question, how are we to view the workers in God's harvest? Whether it's in an official capacity or it's us, there's a way we want to view those. And, and Paul jumps into that in our text I'm going to preach on my own translation of the Greek language there that Paul wrote in because there's a lot in some of the words Paul used. So it, we're told in verse one, let a person start and not stop deeming. Now, right away, the word he uses is reckoning. This is using a mental thought process, almost like accounting and finally saying, OK, wait, all the facts. This is how I am to view uh, these people. So he says, let a person start and not stop deeming us in this way as subordinate assistants of Christ. The Greek word used here, a subordinate assistant, it, it really is a servant, and it has a Greek preposition in it that makes it very clear they're under somebody. Now, the problem is Paul tells us immediately who that somebody is, that's a good thing, of Christ, but we have a sinful nature. And we tend to view those, especially who serve in an official capacity in our congregations, we tend to view them as employees. It's really sad when they view themselves as employees. They're answerable to Christ. They're to proclaim his message. Our sinful nature wants to be the boss, wants to say, hey, you're my servant. And just as an example, years ago, before I even was studying for the pastoral ministry, I belonged to a church where a young lady had volunteered to teach Sunday school. And she volunteered to teach a particular age group, and it was actually one family said, well, you can just go ahead and take our younger uh, child, and then you can just go ahead and take our younger child. So this person was teaching Sunday school from an age span of four to like age 12 or 13. And she one day taught material that was in no way inappropriate, but the mother got offended anyway. Sometimes Christians can forget that and goes and talks to the Sunday school teacher, chewing her out. And in the long run, do you know what happened? She treated that Sunday school teacher like she was an employee, not like a volunteer. She treated that Sunday school teacher like she was somebody that she could yell at and chew out. And the Sunday school teacher quit teaching Sunday school. A woman wasn't willing to teach her own kids Sunday school. So we got to recognize 
we got to stay true to the word of God. These people are not our servants, as in we order them around like we own them like slaves and we can beat them and abuse them. Christ doesn't do that, and he's the master. He's the one they're answerable to. So that's the first description that Paul wants them to consider. The second, it's another neat Greek word. We can translate as stewards or administrators, but the Greek word is actually a household manager. And a great biblical example of that is Joseph. When Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery in the Old Testament back in Genesis, uh, Potiphar buys him, and he ends up being the household manager for Potiphar. Joseph makes sure enough food is bought to feed everybody every day in Potiphar's house. He invests Potiphar's money. Everything is, is, is under Joseph's management, and Potiphar trusts him more and more because everything Joseph touches, the Lord blesses. So this was a slave. They were answerable, but they actually were in charge of making sure all the daily household stuff was there. Now, in Joseph's case, obviously, the one thing that he was not entrusted with, he was entrusted with making sure that she was safe, but Potiphar's wife tells a lie and says that, that he tried to rape her, and, and we see that was a lie. But we see in, in Joseph the example of that word. So we see them as stewards of the mysteries of God. What are the mysteries of God? You, know, you can go and, and study the earth deeply in a cave. You can go to the highest mountains. You will find things like this is definitely an orderly God. This is definitely designed. Only a fool would think otherwise in those aspects. And your conscience will constantly accuse you and you will find out that whatever God there is, you're, you feel accountable to him and you feel like you've done wrong. You will never find the good news that in a great mystery, God became a man and did all the work to save you, even died to wash your sins away, even rose victorious over death. He's the God over all things. And including with that is the, is the proper use then of that, uh, when we combine that good news of salvation in Christ with water in baptism and how that seals us in God's kingdom and seals the Holy Spirit in our heart. And a great mystery, Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood when he institutes the Lord's Supper. How can Christ's body and blood be there? It's a miracle that defies our understanding, but we get to literally uh, taste and see that the Lord is good. So it's the good news of salvation in Christ. It's a mystery. It's hidden from us because our sinful nature always defaults to if you want to do something, get something from God, you got to earn it. We call that work righteousness. So it's a great mystery. It's only found in Scripture and when messengers come to us with that or when we're sent as a messenger to others. So this is the way we're to view them. They're as under servants and as servants who serve as household managers and of the mysteries of God. And so we're told in verse two, and in connection with this, that would be regard, being regarded as under servants and as attendant stewards. Um, it's furthermore demanded in these aforementioned stewards, that'd be the household manager, that each and every one be found faithful. Now the Greek word for faithful is, is all, it includes that amount of, of includes being trustworthy. As Joseph was trustworthy with everything Potiphar had, even though his wife lied about it. So they're to be found faithful in administering the, the mysteries of, of God, the, the good news of salvation in Christ, and that's with his word. And that would involve being faithful with proclaiming the law to show sin, but then removing that sin with the blood of Christ. And that's all part of being a servant of Christ. They got to be faithful to that, not faithful to a paycheck, not faithful to their own desires, faithful to that. How are we to view workers in God's harvest. We are to view them as underservants and household administrators of God's 
harvest of God's mysteries, not as employees, not as slaves. Now, again, they're to be faithful with the use of the word of God. So that's if they're not being faithful with that, that's a whole nother story because the Corinthians were busy comparing gifts. Right now, in connection with that view, I served a church and uh, just various things that happened in their history. And we needed to train elders. And the only time it seemed it would work to train those elders when we normally would have Sunday Bible study. And so for uh, a month or two, instead of Sunday Bible study, we trained elders. Most of the people who went to Bible study did not bellyache at all. They weren't elders, but they were happy. Oh, I didn't realize that's what an elder did. And sometimes people confuse elder for trustee. These are are not biblical terms. A trustee usually is in charge of church maintenance. But you would think some people would say, well, I don't need to know this. I have no desire to serve as an elder. So they quit going to Bible study. Not the case at all. They were happy to learn these things and, and therefore they were happy to be able to assist even the elders who were serving in an official capacity. So that tells us something about our attitude towards those Sunday school teachers and things like that. Now in verse 3, the Apostle Paul now gets to, they've been comparing his gifts with Apollos' gifts, with Peter's gifts and all that stuff. He says, now in respect to me, it continues being insignificant that I am scrutinized under you guys. Now, the word I translate as scrutinized really originally was to be put under a judicial examination. Are you guilty or not? Are, are you innocent? But the judicial examination, the standard they were using was who was the most gifted apostle, who shone the most. And the irony is Apollos, Peter, and uh, Paul were all faithful under servants to Christ. They had all been faithful stewards, but they had various gifts. So Paul says, if you want to play that, it's insignificant to me. It's, it's a dangerous game to play. You shouldn't, but it's not that I'm jealous if you're going to play that game. Like, I'm always the guy who comes out the worst because I'm not the prettiest person at the, at the show kind of a thing. And he says, or under a human day. Now, a lot of translations change that to a human court. Paul is going to refer to the day when Christ returns here in a moment. So he intentionally says a human day. But yeah, kind of under a human court. If I'm going to be scrutinized during the, the, the time of humans, uh, during their day of saying, wow, this one day, he might have been very faithful, but this one day, anything like that, he says, it means it's insignificant to me. That doesn't impact my service at all. He says, but I continually do not even scrutinize myself. Again, judicially examine. And there again, what he's talking about is, uh, I, I've served various churches and, the, and I've never been the first pastor at that church. There's always been somebody before me. And it's interesting to see there are gifts I bring that they didn't have and there are gifts they had that I don't have. Well, you know, we want to be careful that we're not sitting there scrutinizing ourselves saying, well, I'm so much better than that. Peter, after all, there was that time I had to correct him in Antioch. Paul says, I don't even do that to myself. Now, a good person, a person wanting to properly serve the word of the Lord is going is to say, am I faithful with what's been entrusted to me? That's not what Paul's saying. He doesn't play the comparison game and all of that other stuff. And Paul would have a lot to brag about, wouldn't he? After all, he is the guy who takes, if we think all the way, we know he makes it all the way to Rome. We, we, there's, there's reason to believe he made it all the way to Spain. But that, he doesn't play that game because he recognizes these are gifts from the Lord. And so as the Corinthians are playing that, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, they're missing the fact that Cephas hadn't even been to Corinth and that Peter, but it didn't matter. God gives different people to serve different groups of Christians, a congregation, at different times with different gifts, because those gifts are what's needed at that time. And the big thing is that they're being faithful with the gifts God has given them. 
Now, Paul continues in verse 4. Indeed, I am aware of nothing against myself. So what he's saying here is, I'm not aware of a time in which I haven't been a faithful administrator. But you know, he's a human being. There could be a time he botched it. And again, serving as a public minister, I've had times people have been very mad at me over something I didn't even say. They totally misunderstood. And there's been times people have said, Pastor, you said this, and it hurt me. Oh, I did not mean it that way. But yeah, I, I, I did say that. I apologize. Paul's saying he's unaware of anything against himself, but he says, I've not been acquitted because of this. That doesn't mean he can turn around and stand before the Lord and say, hey, if you're going to see how faithful a servant I've been, then, I, you know, the, the, then there's no charges against me of unfaithfulness. He says, uh, instead, he says, yet the one who keeps on scrutinizing me is the Lord. See, he's not a, fa- a, a, a steward. He's not a steward to human beings' whims. When people get to do that, they start loving money or they start loving cush lives, whatever. He's answerable to the Lord. It's the Lord's household that he has been appointed as a manager for, as a a harvester in in that field. So in verse 5, he says, Accordingly, do not continue judging anything ahead of time until the time when the Lord has come, who will bring to light the things hidden by the darkness, and he will reveal the motives of our hearts, and then the commendation from God will occur for each. A lot is said here. It happens, whether it's uh, presidents of a congregation, elders, Sunday school teachers, pastors, where people lots of times think, well, so-and-so, they're doing this because they're jealous of this, and it might not be the case at all. When we start thinking we can read people's hearts, boy, we're already breaking the first commandment because only God can do that. Paul is saying, and Paul, again, we've got to be careful because if you have, for example, an elder or pastor, Sunday school teacher who's teaching contrary to the Word of God, the first thing you want to do is try to correct it. And I'm, but if you, if you can't correct it, then you need to warn others and get away from them. Paul is not talking about that. He's talking about when we try to judge how faithful they are. So for example, anybody I've served knows I am not gifted with music. Uh, I cannot match pitch to save my life. That's all there is to it. So I would never take a call to be a pastor in a church that is really looking for somebody to chant and lead the choir. My congregation has always been wonderful about it. But uh, it would be very wrong then to turn around and say, well, Pastor Sherman could spend 40 hours a week going to to get voice lessons and everything. And that would cause me to actually neglect the words just so I could lead the congregation and be on pitch right and even still I, I have I have spent time with some very good tutors who explained a problem I have that, that's going to keep that from happening so so when we try to read motives into their heart and everything Paul says that's God's day now if the person's lazy very very lazy and it turns out you know some people are less gifted than others and they're the ones God has provided to help us teach Sunday school or to be elder or something but if it turns out being the person's motive really is laziness and, and it's not very apparent God will reveal that he can read hearts so Paul but you notice how Paul even said that he'll that then the commendation from God will come, the praise. You can't help but to think here of the parable of the minas where the guy goes away, the king, and that's Jesus is the king. And he entrusts each one of them with the mina, and one of them brings back ten, one brings back five. And what does he say to those guys? Both of them are told, well done, good and faithful servant. They, they use the gifts out of love for the king who left them. But there's one who says, I know you're a hard guy, and you reap what you didn't sow, so I buried it in the field. Here, you get it back. Now, that was... That, that's what it'll be for those who, yeah, you gave me the gift, but I was, you know, I, I really didn't want to use it. I, I saw it, my motivation was more that I thought you were an angry judge instead of as a God of grace, and I was supposed to pour your, the blood of your son on people with forgiveness. So we do want to encourage those who serve as elders and Sunday school teachers. We want to encourage our Christian neighbor when they uh, speak to another neighbor who doesn't know the Lord. And, and, and what I mean by it is, is again, 
The commendation comes from God in the last day. But as a pastor, sometimes somebody says, you know, pastor, that sermon really was exactly what I needed to hear this week. And I didn't have those people in mind at all. That's the Holy Spirit working. But that kind of encouragement lets me know that the, that the hour spent was not in vain. Or think about a Sunday school teacher who spends all the time uh, preparing a Sunday school lesson. And then most of the parents of the students that they teach cannot be bothered to let that Sunday school teacher know that they're going to the volleyball game or the wrestling tournament or whatever. So maybe they don't have any kids show up or just one. And, and, and God knows that they were faithful even when nobody else does. And lots of times we forget to appreciate the hours they put in and work. But God knows that. And, and they put those hours and because of love for God, which makes them love their fellow sheep in, in, the, in the Lord's uh, sheepfold. So the other thing, though, is, is Paul talked about, I don't even scrutinize myself. We have to understand the context. Because I, for example, one time served a church where if you called on a man to read the Bible or anything in Bible study, he would not be in Bible study again the next week. As they, the men just did not like reading out loud. And when I came to the church I'm serving now, a member noticed I didn't call on, on anybody to read, just read myself. And, and really was very helpful in home skills, saying, Pastor, uh, why don't you, I think it would be good if you help, uh, and if you ask other people to read. So lots of times we're not talking about uh, people helping us hone our skills, the gifts we have and make them better. What Paul here is talking about is scrutinizing, saying I'm, I'd rather fall, follow Peter because Peter is way more gifted and that sort of thing. So ultimately, how are we to view the workers in God's harvest? We're to view them as under servants and household administrators of God's mysteries. And we must help them and not scrutinize the gifts God has given them. We continue with verse 6. Uh, we're told, Now I adapted these things, brothers, into myself and Apollos on account of you guys, so that in us, that's Paul and Apollos, and notice he doesn't use mention Peter because Peter's not there to defend himself or anything. You would learn the concept not to go beyond what is written in order that not one of you keeps on getting a swollen head over one person against the other. So what he's saying here is they were busy playing that I prefer to follow this worker and I prefer to follow that one. This one's more gifted. So I applied it to, to uh, Apollos and myself for you guys so that you would know, don't, don't play that game. I said, I'm not very good at singing. I've never had a member tell me, uh, you know, the pastor before you was way better at singing. Uh, we wish you would leave. And, and, and that's what exactly Paul would commend the congregations for that, for recognizing. Okay, And sometimes we can demand gifts out of Sunday school teachers like mind reading or elders or presidents that scriptures don't demand. What they ask is they be faithful with the gifts God gives and especially, and that means especially be faithful with proclaiming the word of God, especially in using the law faithfully to show sin, not using it beyond, above and beyond what is needed so we don't abuse people with it and pouring the blood of Christ upon hearts that need to know they're forgiven. But he continues with verse 7. Indeed, who distinguishes you? That's, you know, you're, you're saying Paul's better than Apollos or, or Apollos is better than Peter or whatever. Who distinguishes you? Who does this? God is the one who gives us the gifts and sets us apart as different. You have different gifts than I do. We're all to, to share the good news of salvation in Christ. And he says, and what do you have which you did not receive? Now, the biggest thing to think about there is not just our gifts, but salvation. We didn't earn our salvation. That was a gift. So he says, yet if you also received it, then why are you boasting as one who did not receive it? If you start to say, well, this person's more gifted and I'm choosing to follow them instead... 
You're boasting as if you deserve what's been given instead of having the gratitude of, wow, Lord, not only did you save me an undeserving person and make me your child, but then you gave me gifts and privileged me with being able to pour the blood of your son on my neighbor according to those gifts that you have given me. So the last point we want to get out of this is uh, how are we to view the workers in God's harvest? We want to have humble gratitude for the workers God gives us. The ones who shared the word that brought you into faith and continued to nourish that are, are when you're able to share and do that too, to just be grateful because it's all a gift from God. How are we to view workers in God's harvest? We're to view them as underservants and household administrators of God's mysteries. That's the good news of salvation in Christ, the gospel. We must help them but not scrutinize their gifts. And we want to have humble gratitude for the workers God has given us. Let me wrap up this sermon with what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. What then is Apollos and what is Paul? They are ministers. Now, the word for minister actually means servant. Through whom you believed and each served as the Lord gave him his role. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but it is God who causes the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters are united, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor, for God is the one to whom we serve as co-workers. And you are God's field, God's building. Amen. Now the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with all of you in Christ. Amen.